Welcome to Metacosm, a new podcast from Metatron Press that features long-form, in-depth conversations with poets and writers. In this series, we dive into writers' psyches and try to understand what draws people to this ancient art form, exploring and defining what impulses and experiences drive their practice. Curated and hosted by Metatron author and editor Brad Casey, Metacosm carves out a sonic space for intimate understandings of what it means in contemporary times to write. Hey, in this episode, I'm talking with Rochelle Toarmino. Um, at one point in the interview, we talk about coming to writing late, which is a pretty relative term, but both of us uh, talk about how we see ourselves that way, because a lot of people we know started writing a lot earlier than us. But despite the fact that Rochelle came to this a little later, she's done so much. Um, I'll kind of only go over the more no- the things that I think are more notable. Uh, primarily that she's the fa- one of the founders and the editor-in-chief of Peach Mag, which has done so much. It's an independent literary uh, publishing project that has published pretty much everybody that I like. Everybody who's writing I like has been in Peach Mag. Um, and they've done so much for the, I guess, writing community. We also talk in the interview about community and whether a writing community exists or not. Um, so I use that word a little bit loosely right here. We also talk about, or sorry, also uh, Rochelle has a poetry book called That X, which came out in 2020, which is fantastic. It was one of my favorite poetry books from that year. Um, a lot of love poems, a lot of poems about loss, um, lots of playing with pop culture references. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's great. But we talk about it during the interview. Um, we also talk about her living in Western Mass, doing an MFA uh, at uh, UMass Amherst, how she's been adapting to that, to her writing practice, balance, the difference between poetry and prose. Um, and also we talk a bit about the necessity of social media as a writer, because I think that's kind of a, um, a difficult issue because Social media really is a certain type of writing, and it's not really for everybody, but it feels like it's part of the job sometimes. And so, yeah, I guess we go into a little bit of that. Um, So, yeah, uh, I will note that there's a little break at one point because the connection was weak and we kind of lost the connection. And so during that break, that's kind of what happened. But anyway, here we go. painting and hanging things, making it like a real space. 
get a lot of joy from that. Yeah. So how long, how long have you been in Western Mass now? Two years. I'm going into my third and final, probably final year. Yeah. How are you, how are you enjoying your, it's an MFA you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic to have just like this be my main focus for such a long stretch of time. I'm really lucky. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I just kind of, it, it's a really immersive experience to just think about reading and writing all day, every day for three years. So mm -hmm. I'm very, really enjoying it, learning a lot really quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about the details of it, because I don't, I haven't done an MFA. I don't really know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's the MFA for poets and writers at UMass Amherst. And when I first got here, the three poetry faculty were Peter Gizzi, Dara Wire, and Ocean Buong. And we had a visiting faculty member, um, Cynthia Cruz, and then there's other professors in the um, English department, like Martina Spada. Um, and now Dara and Ocean have both moved on from the program. And um, we have a new person coming in, Abigail Chabotnoy. Um, the visiting professors next year are C.A. Conrad and Wawin. Um, and it's just, it, I mean, it's, dope I just get to like study with these incredible poets and learn from them and get their reading lists and get feedback on my own poems from them um so it's been just kind of crazy and great um yeah I don't know I'm I'm some people get like super senior or not super senior what's it called Sen senioritis when they start to get toward the end of the program but i'm starting to get anxiety because i just like don't want it to end <laughs> yeah, yeah. we also get to teach um and you know in terms of like the rest of the work world i guess like you know it's it's not a great salary but in terms of MFAs in the US, it's the stipend is pretty high. Mm -hmm. So we get to kind of, um, we actually get to live off of it in most cases. It's a frugal life, but yeah. um, there are some MFAs that you really can't just completely do the MFA. You have to work a second job or, you know, full time job or, I don't know. Um, but the teaching is great too. We can teach creative writing, we can teach um, the summer camp for, um, teenagers, it's really kind of like holistic. Mm -hmm. Um, what made you decide to go and do your MFA in the first place? Yeah. Um, I had felt like I had taken my own poetry as, as far as I sort of could I was editing that X, my first book at the time um, that I applied and doing sort of, you know, final line edits on it and just kept feeling like I was running up against a wall of like what I just thought poems could do and be. And um, a lot of people around me had done MFAs or were doing MFAs and I applied and got in and just was so psyched about it. 
Yeah. When was that? This was back in the fall of 2019. And um, yeah, okay, let's talk about that X. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what was, um, when was that written and like under what circumstances? Where were you? Yeah. Um, the earliest poem in the book is from 2015, and I wrote it in Granada in Spain, the south of Spain, when I was living there. Um, and then I guess the oldest or the, the youngest poem in the book, um, I wrote maybe like the day before the line edits were due, plus an extension. Thank you, Big Lux. Um, so I, it, you know, it's like a five-year-old um, window in which I lived in um, Spain, various places in Buffalo. Um, yeah, tell me about the writing of it, because I, I sat down with it. You know, I got it when it came out, and I loved it. And I sat down with it uh, uh, two nights ago to reread it. And to me, tell me if I'm wrong here. It feels like the first half of it feels like there's so much longing and there's so much like loss and it feels like a lot of meditations on loss and reaching out and just not quite touching something. And then there's a real turn at uh, Rascal Heart. One, I think it's a very beautiful love poem. And at that, at that point, uh, everything seems to sort of come together for the speaker and there's a lot of exploring of uh, love at that point. Is that yeah, a absolutely. That's spot on. Um, yeah, the, the first half, um, sort of like finds the, you know, we start like having found the speaker in a state of heartbreak, um, without commenting on what exactly happened. Um, you know, it, it's not narrative, it's narrative and mood, but not really in story. Um, mm. the first half I agree is like completely about longing and grief and loss and you know finding power in oneself and um one's friends and you know um media representations of heartbroken people um and then the second half is a sort of like attempt to fall in love again and there's a lot of stages of you know crushing and also longing and fighting but you know that sort of um, desire to love again, that sort of uh, faith in love as this transcendent experience, I guess. Um, but I also, you know, it's, it's, I just wanted it to feel fucking fun too, because that's how love feels for me at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, the book, I, I imagined it as like a, a sort of mixtape, one side being the sad side and the other side being the happy side. And Rascal Heart kind of feels like the, the climax of the happy side of it. Um, I, an earlier version of the manuscript was called La Rascal Heart. And sometimes I regret not naming it that. <laughs> Why did you call it that X? <laughs> um, I wanted to name it after the speaker and I wanted it to kind of infer a dynamic between two people in the title itself um you know you don't usually when you use a word like that and you're talking about a person there's 
this sort of implied other person doing the sort of pointing. And I wanted to play with that a bit because the, the book is about relationships and um, sort of discovering yourself through relationships and friendships and media and like all of those types of things. So I wanted it to, um, I wanted it to sort of represent a relationship in the title itself without doing it too like on the nose. Mm -hmm. And then I thought it would be fun to subvert the sort of like crazy X stereotype and a lot of the poems I think try to do that and it just seemed like the 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 most succinct way to kind of sum up the energy of the book mm-hmm. and I like monosyllables I'm a big fan of kind of like you know textured it, it feels good to say that x really I don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, there's something really grand about it too. Cause it's like, it's like talking to someone and they mention, oh, my ex. And they're like, which one? And they're like, oh, this one. And someone's like, oh, that ex. Like, like the big yeah. one. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, exactly. And, you know, there's, there's something really dramatic about that. And I wanted to bring that kind of drama to the book. You know, it's got this very hot pink feminine cover and, kind of looks like a tube of lip gloss or nail polish. And I just wanted there to be that kind of performance of dramatic femininity Mm -hmm. right from the get-go. And I think the title and the cover together really set that mood. someone who's able to build a schedule of writing into a busy schedule or do you find that you need more like long stretches of time and uninterrupted um i've been going pretty steady i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you the same question once i answer it but but um i uh i've been writing pretty steady since like december maybe january like that schedule I told you about earlier, how I just like, I write in the mornings, usually for about two or three hours. That's sort of, that's been regular since January. I thought it would be done the first draft of my book, like June 1st. And it's just, it just keeps going. Um, that's great. Yeah. But uh, I needed to take like a week away last week, just sort of, I don't know if you've ever had this where you just feel like, you're looking, you've done so much and you're looking at your manuscript and it's just like, I don't know how much more I have to offer to this or can I like keep this magic going, this magic that I've captured, can it keep going to the end? Like maybe I've lost it. Maybe I don't have anything else to offer this. And you have to just sort of sit in front of it and keep like looking at it and reading it and adding little edits and trying to write something until it comes back. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. I've never I've never written fiction of that length before, so I I don't know honestly how people sustain that magic for that long. Mm-hmm. Um but I have had that experience before with poetry and 
I guess in smaller bursts in that case, but I, I actually find it more helpful for editing, hmm. you know, to, to, to have the magic be the drafting and the, the first drafts and, um, or sort of the earlier revisions. Um, and then to walk away for weeks or months and then be able to come back when, you know, that fire has burned out a bit and be able to really revise with just an ear for sound and, um, form and, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time sort of getting back into the feeling of it once it's burned out, I guess. Maybe that's for the best. <laughs> yeah. What's, yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, especially I think both fiction and poetry, often what I do is I just write without even really thinking and I just like burn it out. And then I, ha I come back and I edit it. Yeah. Uh, and that's, yeah. When you say like, that's when the magic happens pretty much. That's when everything mm -hmm. sort of makes sense when you can, that fire has been burned out and you can look back at it and just make sense of whatever it is he put on that page. But yeah. you know, what's, what's your general practice like? Yeah. Um, I'm more of a printer, I guess, in that analogy of the sprinter versus jogger. I'm definitely more of a, when it comes to drafting, I, I will like write down lines all week as I'm like reading or just out in the world and we'll have like one or two extended periods of time, like three hours, three to six hours where I'm sort of collaging it all together at the end of the week. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I work more by collage than sit down, have an idea or a feeling for a poem in mind. And it just comes out. I very rarely write something start to finish. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to experiment with new processes. I've been writing in that way since for as long as I can remember poems, at least. Um, and while I have this time right now, I'm trying to experiment more with writing poems start to finish or, you know, just trying not to think about the poem as much as I'm like leave that for a I will like edit as I'm going sometimes especially because I work on a word processor I very rarely write things down by hand when I'm drafting right. um and so I'm constantly like agonizing over one word or break or something that sort of then I pour all of my focus into that instead of on the actual um the feeling sort of dies out sometimes I like get ahead of myself in the morning um trying to get into more like meditative states instead of just the the collage method I've been doing since forever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you must have so much. I mean, being in an MFA and having like teachers and peers and mentors around you, there must be so much opportunity to explore uh, like new ways of writing, new ways to approach your practice. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's 
been really fun getting to know the other poets in my program, especially, and just learning the different ways that everybody writes. Um, there's one woman who is a big like start to finish poem person. She'll go to a cafe and leave with three drafts of poems. Um, it's completely foreign to me, <laughs> you know? Um, and then there are other people who are more like tinkerers and some that fall right in between. And it's just, it's, it's interesting trying out these new techniques and being exposed to it. It's, 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 it, it can't be understated, like how wonderful it is to be around, you know, I said before how great it, the immersive experiences of just having all this time to think about reading and writing, but I'm also around a group of people who are also only thinking about reading and writing and just being able to have that be the thing that we're all talking and thinking about constantly is really energizing. Yeah. Uh, that makes me want to ask a question because it's something that I wonder about uh, for myself, but especially for other people. What drew you to writing in the first place? Like why writing? That's a good question. Um, the earliest kinds of writing that I did, when I think about it, I've always had a diary. Mm. Um, and in high school, I was really into live journal, you know, all of these like sort of um, ways to diary and journal one's life. Um, I don't know. I don't like... I guess I don't like find my life particularly interesting. Like I'm not, there's not like something I'm trying to capture where I'm like, oh, people gotta know about this. It seems like a lot of it is like um, talking to myself or just kind of processing something. Um, a lot of the writing that I do is like, or I have done historically, especially in diaries or you know, things that I don't feel like I can say out loud to often other people, interpersonal relationships, friendships, family relationships, and trying to find an outlet to still have that conversation so that I can let it go. Um, but that's, that's if I think about like the, the earliest ways I would write. Um, it certainly has evolved since then. It's more of a fun and playful practice for me now. Mm -hmm. Did you have people encouraging you along the way, like early? Um, I didn't have people discouraging me. Yeah, It was something I kept pretty private. So I can't really say either way. Do you remember the first poem you published or shared? I do. It was... Um, a poem that's in that X. It's okay. called I Want to Ask You. And it was published by the great Ashley Obscura in Metatron's um, Omega blog. It was oh. the first time I ever published. It was, it meant like the world to me. Um, yeah. And Ashley, I just thought was the coolest and such a kind hearted person. And connecting with her has just kind of changed my life in many ways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a very tender memory. That was back in 2015. Wow. Mm -hmm. I, I guess I just have this whole image of you that you're, that you've been writing for so much longer. Cause I mean, I 
you've done so much, uh, especially like, let's talk about peach. Um, like even doing peach that, that feels to me, I, I think I came to writing a little bit late, um, as far as like being published and being part of any kind of like scene or whatever, or like group of people, um, that was in 2016. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, maybe like a year later, I'd heard of you and I'd heard of Peach and it just felt like Peach had been around for a long time at that point. Cause oh, like right. everybody was being published by Peach, like everybody good. I mean, everybody who I was interested in reading their writing had, uh, had like Peach Mag in their like bios or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. How did, yeah, that, no. how did that start? I- um, well, I mean, yeah, I'm like you, actually. I, I came to it pretty late. Um, you know, I had always sort of written more nonfiction, like memoiristic stuff. I came to poetry much later mm-hmm. when I sort of just wanted to write in a different way. I felt like prose wasn't coming easily. I didn't like the restrictions. Um but yeah, I'll be, I'll be 32 this fall. And I guess I came to poetry in my mid-ish twenties. Um, the, the poem that Ashley published, that was December, 2015. I'd written it that fall. Um, and then moved back home to Buffalo the following spring and started planning to launch peach with two friends and we launched it that august of 2016 and yeah it 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 all happened kind of quickly um i had a lot of energy during that time and still like love working on it and you know it doesn't um it's about the time commitment of a part-time job excuse me but it doesn't feel like one to me it's something that i love to spend time thinking about and working on and um, pouring whatever random idea into. And yeah, I guess, I don't know. It, it, it does feel like it's been a part of my life for much longer than it has because it just, I guess, means so much to me. I don't know. It feels like there was a little bit, it feels like there was a lot of energy for poetry in those couple of years too. Like, 2015, 2016. Absolutely. Especially, yeah, in, in, in Buffalo in particular, it was a huge year, 2016 and 2017 for poetry. It felt like, you know, there was like an open mic at a different cafe every night of the week. Um, 2016 was the year not only Peach launched, but Foundlings Press launched, Pretty Cool Poetry Thing launched. There were other small presses in the area that were doing things, um, journals in the area, reading series. There was a lot of energy. It seemed like people wanted to be out of the house enjoying poetry together. Yeah. It, it was it was so dope. <laughs> yeah. you know, I just lived in a foreign country for three years, which I loved. But one thing that I always felt was missing was just being able to go out to a poetry reading in English. And because, you know, I could understand and speak Spanish, but it never like came to me in a creative way the way that poems do in English. And I really longed for that while I was over there. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think there was that sudden burst of energy in those like two, three years? 
Um, it's <clears throat> a good, it's a good question. I guess in America it was a really sort of chaotic time with the 2016 election. I think a lot of people were gathering more and trying to be more outspoken. Um, though I don't know that that was my perception, which could be off because. You know, I was also like kind of coming into my mid twenties a bit, and maybe it was just the first time I was really trying to tune into the that kind of thing too. Um, I don't know, and I think that there's something to the kind of mentality of like if everyone, I I at least get a lot of energy from other people doing the things that I want to do. And so when I see other people doing things, I want to participate. Mm. And so there being lots of poetry readings, I think was energizing everyone to keep doing it and do more. And um, I don't know. Yeah. I think about that a lot though. Yeah. At least in with regard to Buffalo's poetry community. Mm. Yeah, I was living in Toronto and I was like, I had, I was a musician for a lot of years and I kind of gave it up and then went through this uh, two year period where I wasn't, where I was like, whatever, I won't even talk about that. But after that was done, uh, I wanted to transition more into like poetry and fiction and creative writing and started like a, a I wanted to do physical like magazine. I didn't want it to be online. I wanted something mm -hmm. people could hold on to. And so I started this magazine with someone. And uh, around that time, there were a lot of readings. And again, I was sort of coming to it uh, fresh. Um, and it seemed like there was so much energy and I didn't even know that this existed. There was always like painters and um, mm -hmm. digital artists and uh, writers and like anybody who worked musicians, anybody who worked in creating art were suddenly doing poetry readings mm -hmm. in like art galleries and in abandoned spaces. And, um, I wasn't around for alt lit. That was like, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, um, I said that with pride a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember someone coming up to me in the street, like a friend of mine who's a writer. Came, I ran into him and he was like, Tao Lin got called out and he was like really excited about it. And I was like, who? Like, I don't <laughs> know who that is. Um, but I think wow. that something, I don't know, I guess something sparked with people from that and i think that uh, a lot of people wanted to like run with what it should have been you know totally yeah yeah i i mean i get that i think it's like a really constructive way to engage with the world when you see something and instead of just being like oh this sucks to be like oh, i'm gonna like try to do this but better you know yeah um at least like with peach and a lot of the programs that we do that's been a lot of the driving force not that I'm like going around constantly being like, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. But I have a lot of ideas for like how I would want to do things. And it's a really kind of clear feeling sometimes. And I, I do think a lot of that, at least, you know, I wasn't around for alt lit. I've only sort of heard about it. And 
I get the sense that it was often a pretty toxic scene, really male dominated. And a lot of the sort of ways in which I approach what I do with Peach, it's resisting, I don't know, whatever has felt like a sort of mainstream way of doing things or um, like more with an ethics of care, um, that sort of feeling. And I guess the way, I guess the reason that I take it so seriously is because of experiences that I had had with whatever male dominated artistic circle in which I was just like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm going to like, let's get the girlies. We're going to do something else. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of my, one really big lesson that I had in my early twenties was when I was playing music and I was living in Halifax and I had this friend, Sherry, and I was, she was a bit older. She was about 40. Uh, I say older as in like older than me. Um, but I was sort of complaining about how what I was doing would never really fit in, in Halifax. And so I wanted to move and she got really mad at me and she was like, you know, like maybe you don't feel like you fit into a community here, but some of the most successful like music communities to have come out of Halifax have been because they were people who were outsiders and they felt that they didn't fit in and they created their own community. Um, she was like, you know, if you see a lack of something, then fill it. And I've, I think I've always, since then I've, that's how I feel about criticism is you watch something and you think like, this is bad, but it's not even that it's bad. It's that if you had that opportunity, you would do it differently. Mm -hmm. And then you get to like process how you would do it. And sometimes you're lucky enough to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And it feels like that's what you're talking about with peach maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it can't all be vision and energy too. I've had a lot of help, you know, and I think that's important because timing and resources are really everything. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel, you know, use the word lucky just now. And I, I, I feel so strongly about that. It is really lucky that Peach has become what it has. And a lot of that is due to the people that I've worked with or partnered with or, you know, resources we were able to acquire at pivotal times when we really needed it, you know? So, mm -hmm. yeah. That brings me to a question, I guess, that I wanted to talk about. And that's just the idea of community within, uh, within writing, within literature. Because it feels like you have created your own community through your work with peach mm -hmm. but how do you feel about the word community as applied to like literary community um i guess i feel the same way about it as i feel any kind of like broad brushstroke this is the like fill in the blank community i don't like think there is a literary community there's you and your friends and there's the people that you connect with and care about both actively and, um, you know, it, it could, like when I think of community, I think of a group of people who are trying to come together with some kind of common purpose or goal in mind and to do it in a way that is caring and that, 
Um, I don't know. I have a lot of friction with that word, I guess, because I, it, it feels so like grant proposally to me, <laughs> though. I also like, you know, understand, I think the feeling beneath it, like it, there is a need for people to feel like they belong somewhere and to feel like they, um, share either ideas or principles or interests with other people. Um, I think just sometimes it, it, it is used so carelessly and I, I, I don't know, like I have made, I have found a sense of community with peach mag. And I, I think we try to go into the way that we interact with our contributors and readers on a person to person level. Mm-hmm. We, try to do it with as much intention and um, just care and respect as possible. Um, but I don't know that I would call what we do a community because it seems like almost too like fluid. I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what it means. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. If, if people find, you know, friends with us or readers or, a sense of belonging or, um, if it, if what we do makes them feel less alone, then that's, that's the shit, you know? Um, but community is like a bit too ambiguous. I'd rather be more specific about what we mean. there. Yeah. How do you uh, feel about it? Well, I don't know. I think, uh, like, do you remember that there was that story that came out, uh, back in October about the woman who, uh, did a kidney transplant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And she thought she was like part of a literary community. And it turned out that everyone, like, everyone was like slamming her in the, uh, in like a secret, like DM chat. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, why would my friends do this? And a lot of them were like, we don't even know who this person is. Uh, yeah. When that story came out, uh, I was having a conversation with, a writer friend about it because it was just an interesting thing to jump off from. And he said, uh, you know, there's no literary community. There's a literary scene, but when it comes to community, community involves like being part of a group of people where you don't always get along with everybody in that group, but you have to, they're part of the community and you have to like make concessions for those people and you have to be around them. And sometimes it's difficult and uh trying but you're a community so you have to like make space for those people where i don't feel like that's the case in literature especially literature broadly mm-hmm. um and it's partly just due to like a scarcity mindset i think because there's only so many publishers there's only so so many book deals to go around uh and there's only so much like general success to have so uh yeah as far as like i've found i wouldn't use the word community for what i found with metatron but like ashley's like my best friend and everybody that we publish i do feel sort of kin to but no a general general literary community i find is like kind of that doesn't exist yeah 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 i i mean 
I hear you. I've like, I was just talking about this earlier today, actually. I've made some of my absolute best friends and people I consider family through working on Peach. And, but you know, it, it wasn't because like I published them or because I, you know, featured them at a reading or, you know, connected with them on social media or something like that. It's, it, it requires so much more effort than that. And I think there are a lot of transactional relationships in publishing that then kind of begin to feel like a sort of scene and there's no sort of care for or interest in either like the people working behind a project. Um, there's no sort of like interest in contributors beyond them contributing to a thing, you know, and I don't totally get that. Like I, every time I have been published in an issue of something, I, I read the issue, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I, I, or like, I think it's, it, it's tricky with poetry because with other art forms, there's, you can draw on such a different sort of um, fan base, I guess, you know, with musicians, the people who listen to music aren't all musicians. With poetry, most people reading poetry are poets, you know? Yeah. I'd be curious to hear from, you know, a writer who's in a different sort of world I think that the sort of cattiness and the competitiveness and the transactional nature of what I notice a lot in the poetry world does come from all of the readers are also poets and we're all sort of like up for the same thing to a degree. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, like I, something that I've learned that has definitely been like a disillusioning experience since starting Peach. Um, is like the sort of the space that you kind of create can't be inclusive of everyone, shouldn't be in order for it to feel safe to the most vulnerable in the space. And I think that there sometimes is too much of an emphasis on everyone must feel like they can belong here and like totally, but also that allows for a lot of enabling behavior that I, I don't really fuck with. Um, I don't know, we should be able to call shit out when it's not right and someone shouldn't belong. Um, or, you know, ask in the calling out that the, you know, someone changed their behavior. Usually the call out's the last resort, you know? I don't know. Sorry, my head's a little bit all over the place because this is such a loaded and interesting topic that I think about a lot. Right. Um, no, that's cool. Um, I think also you, uh, you made me think of something just now also with like how other poets are the people who read poetry and <laughs> it is very like illusory. The success of poetry is very illusory because like, you know, I will talk to my other, I'll talk to my friends who work in other art forms and I'll mention someone like Ariana Reigns, who seems like, to me, seems like one of the biggest poets currently. 
and they'll be like, I don't know who that is. Like nobody knows. <laughs> who that is. Of course, yeah. nobody knows who that very is. Very humble to be around people who aren't poets. I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm almost. It's not something that I've created by like consciously, but I'm. I don't have many writer friends. Mm-hmm. A lot of my closest friends are like, yeah, musicians, visual artists, uh, uh, like my friend, like a stylist. I'm just sort of like thinking of all of the people I'm close to right now. Like, yeah, like not many writers. Um, and it's not really, it's not a conscious thing, I don't think. But, um, and I don't want to say too much. I don't want to shit talk writers too much because I'm scared I'll get in trouble. I'm just not a neurotic person, you know, and I have a lot of trouble being around people who have neuroses and a lot of writers are neurotic and like, that's cool. Like, you know, anyway. I am neurotic, but I have a lot of people around me who are not and who are down to be like, Rochelle, shut the fuck up. (laughs) That's, that's, I found that that's the trick for me. (laughs) Well, I've met you twice and you seem very fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to have a good time, <laughs> but, but you know, I'm down to party, but I'm not denying that I'll spiral for maybe like three hours the next day <laughs> over something. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. It's, that's a lot of things though. That's um, not just. But on, on the topic of you being fun, let's talk about online presence. Cause you're very you you're very funny on Twitter. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> and I noticed that you sometimes come on and off of it. Uh, how much? Because this is a question. Actually, uh, someone posted the other day asking how much other writers feel that being having an online presence is necessary for their job versus mm-hmm. uh, not being on it and having much better mental health and probably a much better life. Like, Mm -hmm. is it, do you think it's necessary to be on social media as a a writer who's being, who is publishing and yeah. Yeah. I mean, sadly I do. Um, I think that it's an easy way to connect with other writers, discover new writers, um, put your work out there and, have fun, honestly. You know, I I never really felt like I, I don't feel like I've ever kind of I don't get Instagram. It's it's one platform that I just I don't like think in Instagram posts in the way that it seems to come sort of naturally to some people as as a as a format. Um and and Facebook is is hell. Um but Twitter's fun and you can just kind of like fire off a tweet that is low stakes and you know you don't have to think about everyone you ever went to high school with or your family members seeing it because hardly anyone's on twitter <laughs> besides like i don't know in my world hardly anyone's on twitter um but yeah i mean it's it's a it's an easy way to kind of put yourself out there i guess i've had to establish some stricter boundaries with myself in recent years. Um, There was a point when I was 
just spending too much time on my phone, I'm sure as many of us were kind of in the beginning and middle of the pandemic years, which is still ongoing, but when we were quarantining and sheltering in place more. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I love Twitter. <laughs> it's a fun place to be. I, I just like to make jokes sometimes. Like I don't take it that seriously, but I do end up spending too much time on it. And I do see things on it that piss me off. And then I spend a lot of time being pissed off about the thing that I wish I could spend that time doing something else. So I've tried to be on it less lately. Um, but yeah, I do, I do think that writers especially need to have at least like a Twitter. Um, I don't know so much about Instagram, I guess, visual artists, maybe on Instagram, musicians on whatever they do, you know, it's just the way that people, um, I hate to use the word consume, but consume media. Yeah. yeah. Not like people are buying lit mags and indie bookstores at the same rate as they're discovering poems on Twitter. Right. Do you know any writers who aren't on it? Um, I mean, maybe that's too specific a question. Maybe that's a weird question. I guess I asked just because I think about like, you know, uh, uh, you mentioned Ocean Wong earlier. Mm, yeah. Um, who I don't think is online. I think he's an Instagram. On success. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he ever had a Twitter, but he, he does have an Instagram. It does seem like that's a way for him to announce things. He's mm. got, I think, several million followers. Um, mm. Oh, yeah. There was that thread that he did about metaphor that people got mad. <laughs> Yeah, that was a that was a wild phenomenon. Like truly, some of the the shittiest takes. I, I love the sort of like take cycle that happens every time. It's like outrage, but then there's also outrage about the outrage, and then there's the jokes about the outrage over the. It's just like so so annoying. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess like Ocean is already quite successful and famous and doesn't need to um promote himself the way that maybe an aspiring or emerging writer does yeah, yeah, yeah um i find it i would find it really difficult i think if i were like just starting to publish to not have any social media right about you know and that's that's not to say that you can't like write and enjoy writing and be have a relationship with writing that is meaningful um, and not dominated by publishing or career shit. But I think if you do want readers, if you do want um, to seek out opportunities, whether it's, you know, financial or, um, you know, press related, it, it you, you do just like kind of have to have a way to, promote yourself i'll never be on tiktok though i will say like I, a lot of the shit that's coming out about authors having to promote themselves on tiktok and having that like built into publishing contracts now is bullshit <laughs> like you'll never find me yeah. doing that. right um do you find that social media like twitter especially do you find that twitter affects your writing and how you write 
I used to, I mean, I, I talk about like collaging or I talked about collaging, like when I had like a, you know, very small Twitter account with like 200 followers, I used to, instead of writing things down in my notes app, I would just like tweet out lines or images, things I saw. And then I would use that to draft a new poem. Um, you know, you can find lines from you up and some of my tweets from 2016. Um, and I find it great for writing in terms of discovering new poems. Like I'm, I'm someone who has to be reading poetry in order to feel inspired to write poetry. I get that a lot of energy from reading other writers work. Yeah. Um, but increasingly I don't use it for that. I, I have a Twitter list called my actual friends and I, I mostly, I try to go on Twitter, maybe just like a couple times a day. I'll like check that Twitter list to see if my actual friends have tweeted anything mm. and then I'll log off. You know, I just, and I'll check the peach account too and check our contributors list, see if there's new news, things like that. Um, which used to be easier now that we've got like 600 and counting people, it's a little more difficult to keep up with contributor news. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It used to be great for drafting. Now I just use it for cracking jokes with my friends. Right. Um, you mentioned influence. Who, uh, who are you influenced by right now? Who you, who do you like? Who are you reading? Yeah. Um, hell yeah. I love this question. It, summer vacation is so fun. I usually I'm like on such a schedule to finish books and, um, I get to just like really take my time with stuff right now. I'm rereading a lot. I'm going into my thesis year. So I'm trying to like reread a lot of my favorite books and kind of return to, um, the people that first made me want to write. And, um, you know, especially after like trying to expose myself to as much sort of canonical and new and experimental work as possible in the last two years, I sort of do want to remember why I first liked writing poetry. Um, so right now I'm rereading all of Bernadette Mayer's books that I have, uh, Alice Notley. Um, I'm trying to get through Emily Dickinson's Collected. Um, I, I recently reread Hera Lindsay Bird's first book, um, I'm reading Chelsea Minnis. Uh, and then I'm also trying to read a lot of fiction this summer. I love to read novels in the summer. Um, I read post-traumatic, which is amazing. It's this like hilarious debut by, um, this woman, Chantal B. Johnson, which I just can't recommend enough. I, I enjoyed it so much. Um, I'm also reading this little book of short, it, they're like episodic stories, called the castle of cross destinies it's one of italo calvino's books and it's it uses tarot to kind of tell stories without i, I don't want to give too much away but it's it's really fun i'm getting really into tarot as a western massachusettser <laughs> okay. um, and yeah um i've got I'm sorry, I'm looking at my nightstand right now, trying to, there's a bunch of books I haven't cracked yet, and then a bunch of bookmarks, I'm trying to think if I'm in, in, in any of these other ones yet. I recently reread all of Frank O'Hara's Collected, which was so exhilarating. I tried to do it during Aries season, because I, he's like, you know, 
Aries Cannon to me and one of the first poets that made me want to write poetry. And that was just the best. I'm so glad I did that. Hmm. What was it about his work? It was so fun and intimate and vulnerable. Like, hmm. And, and direct, you know, I, I had this idea of poetry before reading Hera, one of the earliest poets that got me into poetry, that it was just like this flowery kind of, you take the long way to get there sort of form, which it can be sometimes, and that can be, that can hit, or, you know, it, it, it seems unnecessary. And I, I loved how just sort of, I walked away from his poems feeling like I'd just kind of spent time with a friend. And that was, at the time, a new feeling or a new sort of realization that that's what writing and poetry, especially for me at least, can be. And there's something really companionable about his work that, I don't know, when I return to it, I just, it, I feel like I, I know him in his poems, right? or I've come to know him in his poems, even though it's someone I'll obviously never meet. Um, but yeah, that feels, that's like as close to like a religious experience as I can get. <laughs> oh. That sort of thing of lineage and, you know, discovering people who have left us long ago and just walking away feeling like you have a relationship with them. It's, I don't know. I feel that way about Emily Dickinson too. And that's, I'm trying to read her a lot while I'm here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your, what's the rest of your summer look like? Um, I am teaching a bit. I've got a catapult workshop coming up in a couple of weeks called Poetry is Play that I'm using as an opportunity to kind of try to articulate my poetics more. Um, I've got uh, this summer camp called Juniper that I'm teaching for. It's through the UMass MFA. Um, and then... Yeah, I'm, I'm working on my thesis a lot. I'm doing a lot of revising. I'm, I'm trying to push myself to write a longer poem. Um, I've been in this sort of habit of like a poem a week, which is usually what we do here mm. for work. And I've noticed that it has, which makes, I mean, also perfect sense to me. I've noticed that my poems all are about the same length and meter now, like, um, like, you know how, when you're on Twitter, a bunch, you start to think in tweets, Yeah, the form dictating that I feel the same way about like turning in a poem a week. I'm like, okay, so it has to be like, I, I can get out a sonnet a week, you know? So I'm trying to push myself with this kind of stretch of summer vacation to write something longer because the poems that have made the biggest impact on me in my writing life have been substantial in length. Um, so I would like to do something like that. I'm also, fuck, I, I don't want to say this because you're an actual fiction writer, but I'm trying to write fiction for the first time. And it's really fun. Why do you but know? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what'd you say? Why do you okay. not want to do that to me? Because I, I don't know how to talk about it yet. See, this is where I'm neurotic. <laughs> yeah. I can be a bit of a, I guess, perfectionist. Um, I don't, I feel really, it is sort of that like honeymoon phase with it 
where I'm just like really falling for this project that I'm doing without totally being able to articulate what I'm trying to do yet or why I'm finding it interesting or what I think it's doing, mm-hmm. um, which is beautiful. That's like my favorite kind of headspace to get into for art. But I'm like, I, I fiction is just like a different beast to me. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere. I don't know if it's, if I'm going to finish it or if it's just like something that I'm enjoying and that's helping me sort of make sense of a couple of things in my life. And mm. uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Writing's a gift, you know, however the yeah. form takes. Yeah. It's fun. It's um, the second I realized that like, fiction can just be like lying (laughs) you know it's like why write memoir when you can tell the version of the story better if you have like complete creative control over like some things that have happened you know (laughs) i agree fully what did you say i said i i totally agree with that yeah Um, yeah, like a lot of my fiction draws from experiences, but then like jumps off into lies just because you're trying to convey a certain idea. The story, I find that stories themselves aren't interesting. It's the idea that's underneath. And if you can like lie your way into conveying an idea, that's a lot more interesting than what really happens in, in real life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of this passage in The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera. That's something like my characters begin where I end or something like that. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I feel that way right now. It's like, wow, all of these conversations and arguments that I like rehearse in my head sometimes, like, oh, I should have said that. It's like, well, what if I wrote that down, what I would have done in that situation instead of just like ruminating on it? Or um, like maybe that can be interesting if it's put in a bunch of different contexts. Maybe there's a story there. Um, I don't know. I'm At the very least, I'm learning a lot about myself and the way that I observe my world by coming into writing from this different angle and that's been both fun and excruciating (laughs) yeah because those arguments when you write them out and you actually like have the people as characters it doesn't turn out the way you think it's going to turn out no (laughs) it's bullshit (laughs) completely control (laughs) um well, uh, okay. So anything else? I think I'm good. How are you feeling? Anything else you want to touch on before we finish this up? No, oh, I'm, I'm so grateful that you guys are doing this. First of all, like hell yeah to Metatron for putting this together. And thank you again for asking me to be part of this. I always like talking to you and you've given me an opportunity to kind of think about or articulate a lot of things that I'm thinking about kind of quietly to myself lately. And mm. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you so much. Well, I'm grateful to see you and for you to have been part of this. So, um, you know, have a good rest of your day. Have a good summer. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk another time. 
Well, TGIF, hugs. See you later. Okay. <laughs> Bye.